Hello everyone and welcome to The Regular, a Words and Nerds spin-off podcast with your host Nathan J. Phillips. I'm a writer of speculative fiction, sometimes an editor and always a fan of any book with a good story involved. I'm recording today on Nunganwal land and I'd like to pay my respects to the Nunganwal people and the Nunganwal elders past, present and emerging. Today I'm excited to be interviewing Astrid Schult, author of Four Dead Queens, The Vanishing Deep, and the recently released League of Liars. Raised on a diet of Spielberg, Lucas and Disney, Astrid Schult knew she wanted to be surrounded by all things fantastical from a very young age. She spent the last 15 years working in film, animation and television as both an artist and a manager. Career highlights include working on James Cameron's Avatar, Steven Spielberg's The Adventures of Tintin, and is currently working on Marvel and Disney's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. She lives in Melbourne, Australia, with her fiancé and her two cats, Lilo and Mickey. Her debut YA novel, Four Dead Queens, was an international bestseller and has won numerous awards. Her second novel, The Vanishing Deep, was released in March 2020 with Alan and Unwin and Penguin Random House. And her current book, League of Liars, uh, was released in the US, or sorry, in North America in February and on the 1st of March, I believe, here in Australia. You can find her posting about books, cats, and Disney on Twitter and Instagram at, at Astrid Schult. That's at A S T R I D S C H O L T E. And without any further ado, I'm going to get excited because I get to chat to Astrid Schult. Welcome to the podcast, Astrid. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you, Nathan. Uh, it's it's an absolute pleasure for myself as well. Uh, as I was, I, I had my little fan out moment before, but I absolutely loved Four Dead Queens, uh, Vanishing Deep, also fantastic. Um, I've actually got two copies of it, which makes it a little bit embarrassing that I could uh, I struggle to find one of those copies before this one to show you. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so absolutely love that one. But the reason, or one of the reasons that we're here chatting today is because League of Liars is the brand new one. It's it's not out at the moment, but by the time this podcast goes out, it should be fresh on the shelves. Um, and I look, I, I'll, I'll go into how much I loved it a little bit later <laughs> before I rave on too much about it. Uh, did you want to give us a, for those who haven't quite read it, a quick uh, elevator pitch and tell us what it's all about? Yeah, sure. So League of Liars is a YA fantasy crime thriller mashup. And it's about 17-year-old Kata Broddock, who is a legal apprentice for the defence attorney in a world where magic can be lured from any shadow and change reality. So he expects to spend his summer learning about crimes and the criminals that are in prison at the prison of Vardian. And he wants to become a prosecutor, but things don't go to plan and he finds himself siding with the very criminals he thought he would be up against. And, yeah, I don't want to give too much away because there's lots of spoilers and twists and turns, but, yeah, that is the elevator pitch. Yeah, and that's it is one of those ones that has a lot of uh, a lot of twists and turns in it in a very satisfying way. Um, one of the things that I loved about it is, when I was first reading it, I didn't really know what to expect because, as I said, I've read Four Dead Queens, absolutely loved it, read The Vanishing Deep, loved that. But the two very, very different styles of books, the different characters, different mm-hmm. worlds. And then when I got to uh, League of Liars, again, it was a very different setup. Um, it was you know, more that sort of courtroom drama, or well, that's what it appeared right. to, to start with. Again, no spoilers, but you know, <laughs> potentially doesn't stay on that path. Um, but... I've got to ask, what is it that's, um, 
they, they all still seem to be connected. They had some sort of similar, I don't know if it was a similarity in tone or something, but they were very, very distinctly books that belonged together. So when you're looking at, at these stories, what is it about them that grabs you and what is it that makes them a story that you want to write? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, th- I guess from the outside, it's easier to see the connections and maybe that I don't even know are there. Uh, so for me, a story is always exciting if there's a mystery. And that's something that's always, I've always gravitated towards ever since I was a kid. Uh, I love the Osborne mystery books. And that later on, you know, I was reading murder mysteries and Agatha Christie. And so I, I think for me, and any kind of crime is about a mystery as well. So that kind of mystery element is very strong through all of my books. And even though The Banishing Deep isn't crime or a murder mystery, there is still a mystery at the centre of of the book that drives you forward. So I can see where that might kind of feel like they're all in a similar vein of, yeah, who done it or what really happened that's, you know, once... I want the reader to keep wanting to read that, to not be able to put it down because they need to find out what happens next and how it all wraps up. Well, that certainly worked for me. And I think just when you're saying that, um, it just sort of came to that maybe it's it's the mystery, but it's also, they're, they're very personal mysteries. They're very much matter to, it's not just a matter mm. of, I want to do a good job. These, these are personal, personally involved mysteries for, for the main characters. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely something that I kind of sought out to write when I first started Four Dead Queens is I wanted to write these really complex worlds but have smaller stories inside them. So they're not necessarily, you know, saving the world or bringing down the government and it's these big, you know, war-like stories. They are these personal stories within these complex worlds, these fantasy uh, worlds that are set up. Um, So there hopefully feels like there's a lot more to explore within these worlds if I were ever to go back to them. Yeah, and look, certainly, uh, again, not doing any spoilers or anything, but um, there certainly seemed a lot more worlds to explore in uh, in League of Liars. Um, we'll just leave that one there. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, but again, going back to back to Four Dead Queens, the, the sort of start of it all, um, and a bit of a side note, but that, that was quite a successful book, to put it mildly. It um, was shortlisted for a number of awards. It won a couple of others, in particular the ones that, that stood out to me were the David Awards because yes. I'm I'm not particularly familiar with them. I you know, know of them. I track them a little bit, but I haven't seen that many fantasy books on their shortlist. And then fantasy mm. books come through and win. Uh, so if you've always been a fan of mysteries, how did that feel to come through and go, well, this is perhaps not not a, an award that's designed for this book, and yet here comes this book, just comes through and grabs it. And it was, I mean, I'm biased because I love fantasy, but I think it's a standout. So... <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, it it certainly was very fulfilling because I kind of saw that book as a crime slash murder mystery, mm-hmm. first and foremost. And the fact that it's set in a fantasy world is just not, you know, I mean, obviously intended that way, but it is just the environment, the setting that it's in. It's not about magic. It's not about, I mean, yeah, the, the different quadrants play into the plot itself and the murder mystery element, but it is first and foremost a crime novel. So that was very exciting to be acknowledged within the crime world that, yeah, this is a crime book and and they really enjoyed it. So it was yeah. a great moment for sure. Yeah, it's nice sometimes. And, you know, this is 
again, possibly coming from me as having particular views as uh, fantasy fans, but sometimes fantasy is sort of brushed aside as, you know, not a real genre, not a real story and that. And it's great to see that recognition and to see, yeah. you know, organisations like, uh, I think it's Sisters in Crime on the Dublin Awards. Um, yes, that's right. Saying, you know, that they're just, you know, they're, they're not they're not blind to outside of, you know, just the, I want to say the norm, but I hate using the word norm. Because, you know, <laughs> what is? Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, I should get back on to League of Liars. That is, you know, the one, the exciting one that's come out. Um, another part of that was, and I'm, I'm going to say this a million more times, I can tell now, but as a fantasy fan, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the big part that I loved was the magic is incredibly unique. Um, what was it that, you know, because you know, ma- I guess magic in a lot of stories, um, it's, it's unique in its own way, but there are mm. some fairly um, standard sort of styles. And this, this is one where, as you said, it's magic that comes from the shadows. It's magic that has not always naturally been part of that world. And it's magic that uh, anyone can use. Like, um, I think, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Cater, um, you know, his first interaction is when he was quite young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. you know, the first time we see it, it's just someone who's, having a really bad day. So that's what tempts them into using the magic. Um, what was the motivation or the, sorry, the, the, the inspiration, I suppose, behind that? Was that just one of those click and it comes type moments or how, how did that come to you? Yeah, it was a process. So I knew I wanted magic to be illegal and that certainly isn't something unique in, no. in fantasy books and especially in YA. Like it is a a setup that you've seen before and there is I always try and do something different in my books whether it's like the way that it's told or whether it's combining you know two genres that you wouldn't expect like fancy and murder mystery and I wanted the magic to be different so it it was something that I worked at to make it something that you haven't seen before or at least in a fresh way that you wouldn't expect and yeah I, I wanted it to be something that everyone could use and it kind of played into what I wanted to explore in the novel, which was like, what if a crime that you committed when you were young or an accident was kind of forever marked upon your skin? Like it was forever seen and how that would affect you and affect the people around you. And so then playing into, well, how would that work? What would that magic look like? So it was not something that came to me straight away and especially during the first draft of the book, it wasn't fully fleshed out, but something that I really wanted to focus on to make sure that it was a unique magic system. Yeah. And as you're saying, the consequences are quite unique as well, because it's not just a consequence of what it does to the person. There is that societal consequence and it's really, it's immersed in the society and in the culture, what happens to someone who uses that magic. Mm. Um, which again, if I go any further into that, I'm probably going to be getting close to spoilers. So yeah. Um, but there's two other things that I wanted to to ask about. First one is more of a statement. It's just I saw the word persnickety in there and have to celebrate the fact that persnickety is in a published book somewhere. It's a fantastic word. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And um, the other one is the use of first and third person. Mm. So reading it from my perspective, it stood out. Um, I think it was the it's the second chapter where we go into one of the, the third person characters. And I was wondering what the purpose of that was. 
And it seems, and this is something that um, I certainly don't want to answer for you or anything, but the impression I got was that we have one character that we can trust. We have one character where we know what they think and we know what they do and everyone else is completely unreliable because we only ever see it from the outside. Was that an intentional thing or is that something that just flowed yes. as the story went? No, that was definitely intentional. So I know it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are correct. Uh, so I knew that there were certain things that I had to hide from the reader. And I, as a, a reader, I get frustrated if it's a first person uh, point of view and then something's revealed and it's like, well, surely they would have thought that at some time. Uh, I think it's very difficult to hide certain things or not reveal certain things if you are in first person. And the other reason I did it, which is similar to why I did first person and third in Four Dead Queens, was it is predominantly Cater's story. So he's the main character and we're following the world through his eyes. And he's, I mean, all characters have a character arc and they, and they change and they learn, but he's really the one that we're following and that we're learning and evolving with as, as he's learning and evolving um, throughout the, the story of the book. Yeah, and he's really sort of coming to terms with the idea that, um, you know, is that that idea that the world is not black and white. There's a lot of mm. grey and, you know, again, desperately trying to avoid spoilers, but there's, there's so much about it I wanted to discuss, but won't, not here, not at the time. <laughs> um, but the one of the other things that I wanted to, to sort of ask about this is, as we discussed, Four Dead Queens, it was quite a, um, quite a successful story. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but The Vanishing Deep, was that the book that was written before Four Dead Queens but then published after or am I thinking of a different story then? Uh, so it was written between Four Dead Queens being uh, picked up for ah, that's what it was, yeah. and, bef and before it got published. So it was in the in-between time. Yeah. So I wrote it while I was waiting to get, like, my edit letter back for Four Dead Queens. Yeah. Right. So if we follow the, the process, there is a point to this. Um, so <laughs> League of Liars is really the first book that you've written post the success of Four Dead Queens. And, you know, The uh, the Vanishing Deep was rather successful as well. I, I believe it was shortlisted for Aurealis. Uh, I'm not yes. sure. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That one. I was on that panel. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So that's why I have two copies because I bought a copy and I read it and then they sent me one for that as well. Huh, excellent. One borrowing, one for reading, um, which I should say thank you for as well. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let out the rambling too. Um but uh, the, I guess the question that I have is how did it, how did that impact that, that success of Four Dead Queens uh, and The Vanishing Deep obviously having its own success as well? Um, how did that impact writing League of Liars? Was that something that mm. added pressure or just gave confidence or how did that second book syndrome sort of play out when it's technically the yeah. third book? <laughs> yeah, well, that's right because I had written The Vanishing Deep without any expectation and I think it kind of, there was a good side and a bad side to that. The good side was obviously I didn't have any pressure and I wrote the book that I wanted to write and, and how it kind of came to be. And the bad side was, well, a lot of people expected a Four Day Queen sequel or something that yeah. kind of was with, within a similar uh, realm. And even though th there are similarities, obviously it's my style of writing, it is a very different world and a, a different story. So League of Liars was actually the third idea that I started for with the idea of selling as my third book. So I had written two other manuscripts 
One was about uh, 50,000 words and the other one I stopped around 25,000 words before I was like, no, I don't think this is the next book that makes sense with what I have already established with Four Dead Queens and The Vanishing Deep and also what readers would expect from me. So it was something that I certainly had in mind and obviously I wrote two other attempts before I, I got to League of Liars and when I came across that idea I was like, yes, this makes sense. And, you know, that I wrote that quite quickly and, and it was something that that came out in an easy way. So even that kind of gave me reassurance that it was the right book to have as my third uh, novel. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said you've written the, the 50,000 and then the, the 20-odd thousand as well, um, just tracking when all these books come out, I was just doing the maths in my head. That must have been a phenomenally quick uh, write. And it, it's a very complete book as well. It's not like, a book that you read and go, yeah, well, you can see this was a on a on a on a deadline. Right. It does very much come across as a, a book that's considered and complete. And I, I guess that's part of um a bit of a segue um onto <laughs> the world building side of things. I mean, as as this is only going to be audio, but you can see in, in my background there's um there's a lot of series in there. And mm. one of the big advantages that I've heard about writing a series is that you've done a lot of the authors who do that they've done a lot of the um the hard work beforehand in regards to setting up the world you've sort of got connections between the worlds but in the stories themselves they're standalones that have very distinct and separate worlds how did i i, I don't even know how to ask this question <laughs> I, I guess i'm interested in what those how those worlds came to be and what significance it is is, is it that important for you to have the three separate worlds or was that just something that came with the story? Yeah, I mean, it, it is important that they're separate because they were sold as separate books. So they had to feel different and that was something that I was very wary of, especially with The Banishing Deep. Yeah. I didn't want it to be just another fantasy world. I really wanted it to be quite distinct. And, yeah, there is actually a thread that when I first wrote The Vanishing Deep, it was kind of set thousands of years later in the same universe or the same world as Four Dead Queens. And this, while I kind of pulled that back in revisions, so there isn't that direct connection, you can still kind of see some of the seeds that were planted in that first draft that connect through um, to Four Dead Queens and the way that that world is. But I really, yeah, wanted to have these, these worlds that felt very different. And I, I love fantasy because I love the escapism of it. I love being taken away to a new world where, you know, there's different types of food, there's different types of people, cultures, and I wanted that kind of visceral kind of experience that you get with reading fantasy for each of the books, and I wanted them to all feel very different and distinct. So it was something, I, like, I didn't want my editor to be like, oh, this kind of feels like we're back in Quadara with yeah. League of Liars. I wanted it to be its own unique thing. And anything that comes too too close, then I would I would get rid of. So, yeah, it is. World building is really important, and it's something I love doing. It's probably mm. my favorite thing of writing. It shows. You, In a good you way. get yeah. to. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you get to build these these worlds and and have fun with it, and that's something that is what fantasy is all about, and the exciting thing of fantasy. So. Oh, thanks. Um, and yeah, so. Yeah, I think just to, to give readers who may not have been through them all yet, um, 
you know, I, was, I think the best description I saw um, of League of Liars is that it's because I was struggling to come up with the description myself because it's it's not quite modern, but it's not your stereotypical medieval either. And mm. someone put it forward as a sort of steampunky style world, and it, it really yes. is just without without maybe the the steam rockets and all that sort of thing. Um, the, the best description that I've seen of the Vanishing Deep is Waterworld, but good, um, which I think is a bit harsh. <laughs> I enjoyed Waterworld. Um, I did too as a kid. I, <laughs> it was a fun, you know, blockbuster. Yeah. And uh, Four Dead Queens is a whole different, you know, that's a whole different ball game. There's four worlds in one. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. But with, with that one, um, and I'm rocking a little back and forth here, apologies for this, but was it no 2016, I think, um, that it came through in Pitch Wars. Yes. And it wasn't just one that got picked up in Pitch Wars. It got picked up in Pitch Wars and then got fast-tracked for um, full publication. Uh, so can you tell us that story? Because that sounds like someone just looked at it and went, this book needs to be on my shelf now. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, it, w- it was a real whirlwind. Uh, I'd been trying to get published for years with different manuscripts I think it was uh, four or five years into trying to get published, like seriously trying to get published, putting manuscripts out there, getting hundreds of rejections. And I, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's not a fun feeling, but you know, I I thought I'd give it one more go. And the reality is I would have kept going, but in my mind, I was like, I'll give it one more shot. And I had heard about pitch wars, which is a competition that, Uh, if you get in they assign you a mentor and they help you polish your manuscript so the agents can read a a small sample and then request more and hopefully you'll get an agent through it there's absolutely no guarantees but you know I thought great it gives me a deadline I'll you know work towards that and it was March uh, 2016 that I started writing for Dead Queens and uh, August 2016 uh, was when it was due so it wasn't a long time to uh, write a novel and I had a very, very lean and rough first draft. Well, not first draft, but essentially a Polish first draft. You know, I'd gone yeah. back and reread it a few times that I entered into it uh, at 70,000 words and the novel ended up being 120,000 when it was printed. That, that, that does not look like a 70,000 word uh, no. spine to me. Um, <laughs> thought it was longer no, than that. It was, yeah. It became a lot a lot longer. Um, but I managed, yeah, to get in through that competition. And then um, I had actually had a few mentors that were interested. So you get to pick then who you want to go with. And we revised. So they give you an edit letter like a, an editor would mm-hmm. for a pub, from a publishing house. And you work on the novel for, I think it was about a month. And then it goes up online and... I ended up getting lots of requests, the best I'd ever had for any, you know, querying or submission that I'd gone out with any other novels or manuscripts that I tried to to sell. And I landed an agent. Well, I got a few uh, offers from agents and I accepted one and she was based in New York. And, yeah, then very quickly we revised two weeks before Christmas and I think it was very early January that it went out on submission and Penguin uh, in the States, so Penguin Random House sent through an offer seven days later. So it oh, happened wow. very quickly compared to years of being out um, with queries and then getting hundreds of rejections and realising this is not going to be the book that, you know, gets me the first book deal. So, yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind. It really, 
it really was a very different experience from I think the norm of not that there is one way that you can yeah. get published, but the querying process and the time that it takes. Um, Pitch Wars is great for kind of fast-tracking all of that. Yeah, there's a, um, a, a phrase that I've heard applied more in sports, but I think it applies equally here where it takes many years and you know, of hard work and dedication to become an overnight success. Um, yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> um, and when it did go out, it sort of, um, I, I remember seeing it, it, it came up on, I'm not sure where I heard it first. It might've been on another podcast or uh, it might've actually been, um, uh, just had a blank. Uh, so you want to be a writer. I think it was. Oh, yes. and Al and yeah. Al. Now just Val, which makes me sad, but I'm glad that Al's, you know, tasting other things. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so it sort of, I heard it first there, but then it, it really did sort of take off and it, it was appearing everywhere. And I understand it had a, a simultaneous international release yeah. and it was all over pretty much everything. Um, you know, it was sort of, uh, I don't use the term going viral usually for books, but the, <laughs> it certainly seemed to be uh, the case there. Um, was that something that was a, a deliberate strategy or how, how did you sort of manufacture that one? Or was it just a roll the dice and that's what happens? Yeah, I think it was, it's a bit of roll the dice and also um, I think because I kind of had the pitch wars buzz a little bit happening in the beginning so people had heard about it because I think a lot of readers are aspiring authors and yeah. and so they, you know, whether they had gotten in the competition or were just in and around the pitch wars community, they had heard about it and um, I, you know, was doing my best to spread the word on social media. I mean, I had a, a lot, not that I have a huge following now, but I had a lot less followers back then. And I just tried to generate excitement. And one of the things that I wanted to do was focus on what made this a different fantasy YA book from others. And for me, that really was the murder mystery element yeah. and the fact that there are four queens that rule together and, and rule peacefully in before they get murdered, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um Peaceful yeah. to the point of, you know, <laughs> where it's useful for the story. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so I, I did, you know, artwork for it and I did a lot of giveaways and it just kind of started to snowball around, uh, I think it was Comic-Con would have been 2018. And it was like a secret arc drop uh, that Penguin did in the US. And it just kind of blew up over there and people were really excited and, yeah, from then on, it, it just kind of took a, a life of its own. And, yeah. yeah. And so the, I, I don't know how, it, how these things happen. It's, <laughs> it's just some of it's luck and some of it's mm. planned, I'm sure. But yeah, It's almost like, you know, sort of that planning to be lucky, you know, just so right. you can take an advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, but I wanted to mention as well the artwork that you do. That's um, cause I saw that particularly with League of Liars, uh, you've you know been posting all the uh, the images that you did of um, of the main characters there as well. How I guess how does that sort of interact with the um, with the story? And I, I don't again, this is one of those questions I don't really know how to ask. But is it right. sort of one of those things where not sure what to do with a story, so you go do the artwork, and you know, or is it just a like nice to do simultaneous how does that sort of mm. work together yeah for for me because I am a I consider myself a visual writer I have to be able to see the environment that the, the scene is playing out in I have to be able to see the characters and I think that kind of comes back into 
working in film and visual effects, like I, I do have a very vivid imagination and that's what I do when I read. I imagine it like it's a movie. So that kind of is, is part of that. And I just started, I mean, I've been painting for ever since I was a kid, but I hadn't painted for about eight years. And I thought, oh, well, you know, that's something I could do just as, you know, some marketing material. Cause there's only so many times you can say, buy my book, buy my book yeah, before, yeah. you know, they, people get sick of hearing it and I get sick of saying it. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll do a painting of, of the Queens and of each queen. And maybe, you know, that could become something. And it ended up becoming uh, used for character cards that Penguin made. And they, I think, you know, especially with Instagram, anything that kind of helps uh, immerse the reader into the world and have something more tangible is really useful. And so, yeah, it wasn't something that I need to be able to write, but it's something that I enjoy doing as a kind of a side piece to to the writing and it is something that I imagine what the characters will look like and then I try and find you know pictures that I think are close to the to who they are and and how I imagine them to be and then do a painting based off those so just just on that as well because you mentioned about your your previous work um working with visual effects and working was it Disney and Marvel I think we were discussing earlier just you know just a couple of throwaway names there yeah um, no one's probably <laughs> ever heard of them um <laughs> but um so when you were doing all of that and, and noting that you were on submission so you're submitting out there and querying for for quite a while um I uh there's another one. I'm having a terrible night tonight. If I don't know how to ask this question, <laughs> but no I'll, I'll edit them out. That's the joy of uh, recording and then editing. But yeah, so you you were doing all these things. You you had a very you were already in sort of the artistic world. So I'm I'm assuming you had a good understanding of what the the author life was uh, was like and chances of success and and how all that works. And having queried for um for a little while before this one came out. Uh, what was it that kept you going in, in that time? Um, and uh, th- this is one I'm asking not only mm. as myself being an aspiring, um, you know, author of, and then, but also, cause I know there are a lot of listeners that are the same thing and they might be in the query trenches going, you know, I've been here for however long. Yeah. Why am I here? What am I doing? What was it that kept you going? And hopefully you can help some of them keep going. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely tough. And there were certainly times where I was like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Or, or I, you know, emotionally can't go through the roller coaster of, you know, getting a request and getting your hopes up and then only, you know, months later to be told, no, uh, when the, what is the standard? I didn't connect with it as much as I uh, hope, yep. hoped I would. Uh, and that absolutely is nothing to say about your writing. It is just to basically say that they're passing. And for me, what I always thought about was, will it be harder if I give up? than if I keep going. And for me, it was always going to be something that I would really regret and would feel bad about if I wasn't continuing, continue to strive to, to be a published author. It was, it was going to be a better experience for me to keep trying, keep the hope alive, and then hopefully get there. And I mean, I've heard people say that the only difference between an unpublished author and a published author is tenacity and determination. So yeah. You know, it's, it is all about, unfortunately, having to weather the storm of the query trenches and having, you know, the right book at the right time and all those sorts of things that sometimes are just out of your hands. Yeah. Um, but it is it's certainly worth, you know, persisting. That would be my my message to anyone out there who's, who's writing. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think that's a that's a great way to look at it. And one of the uh, it's a meme. I haven't checked it out, but so I'm assuming it's correct. And I'm probably going to get you know blasted somewhere that's wrong. But something about you know the, the word amateur, you know, the root word of that is you know a more and you know doing something for the love of it, and you oh, know whether right. it's doing you know writing um, mm. and trying to query or, or doing writing just as you know that sort of for the love of it, so to speak. It's I can understand where you're coming from there. It's it's harder to stop than it is to keep going sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now that we've gone a little bit deep into etymology and everything there. <laughs> um, so um, this is another thing that I've, I've seen that you've, um, it is another thing on social media. Uh, you're in a position at the moment where you've got a little bit of a break and you're saying, I'll just knock out a, a romance in a, in a few weeks or something like that. Um, can I ask, what is next on the cards? And is this another one of those things where it's like, I'm going to write 50,000 of this, 20,000 of that, and then this is the romance one that I actually want to write uh, and just knock that out in ridiculously short time? I mean, I hope <laughs> not. I'm, I'm trying to be more economical with my words um, because I do, I, I am a fast writer, which is how I can, I guess, right. You know, I Not say, you know, all, just it out <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 50,000 words of manuscript that are a bad 50,000 words, but you know, there are 50,000 of a first draft that you can go back and make better. Hmm. And funnily enough, I have actually gone back to one of those stories that I wrote before league of liars. And I'm re reworking that now and hoping that that will be book four. Uh, the rom-com idea as a script is something I'm just playing around with because yeah. I like Christmas rom-coms and I thought that would be fun. Uh, and then I also have like a secret kind of four dead Queens sequel thingy that I'm working on. Um, just putting so, it out, there's probably going to be less secret around March when the episode drops, but um, right. Yeah. Yes. That's all right. I've been hinting at it um, on my social media. So yeah. I don't have a I scoop. Just... Would have been my first scoop. That's all right. <laughs> so yeah, I've got always got lots of things on the go. Um, Sometimes the difficulty is focusing on one of them and figuring out what the next thing should be. Again, I think that's the question that I had with League of Liars. And when you hit upon it, you're like, oh, yeah, th this makes sense. And I feel that with the, the book that I returned to, now it makes sense to come out, whereas before uh, League of Liars it wouldn't make sense. Uh, maybe that's just me over analysing everything, probably is, but. I think uh, that it will make you're good in good company for overanalyzing everything. That's, you know, um, so I, I tell people sure my, that's what my brain sits on do. the wrong side of paranoia and, you know, right. um, <laughs> always second, third, fourth guessing everything. Right. But how do, how do you tell that? Is that from what you're saying, is that just sort of a, a gut feel that yes, this is a story or is there something about it that says, no, I can see the, this bit, that bit and that bit. Mm. I think it's a gut feeling for me. I mean, I think all the things that I have shelved were valid stories and could, you know, be finished, but it's just about what excites me at the moment and what I think fits in. And obviously I've got an agent who I can run these ideas by and they can say, okay, I think the next best thing career wise, it makes sense to do this um, and not so much of that or what, whatever it is that I might have. Um, ideas floating around because there's always many. <laughs> so how has that gone actually? So there's a little bit of a, a tangent, but I, I do know, I understand there's authors, sorry, um, agents out there and, and some of them are very much along the lines of uh, this was your first book, therefore mm -hmm. the next book will be this and 
I don't know if it's pigeonholing. That's probably a nastier way of looking at it, but it's more along the lines of if this is what you've done, this is what we expect next. And therefore this is Mm. where the successful path will be. How have you been with, you know, obviously they're all fantasy, but they are very distinctly different fantasies. How have you found um, sort of putting out a crime novel and then putting out sort of a, a family mystery and then putting out a, I'm going to call it a legal drama at the start. Okay. Yep, so I'll stick sure. with that. <laughs> Again, don't want to ruin it. But how do yeah. you go getting all those ideas through? I mean, obviously your, your agent's been quite supportive so far and this has you know, worked out quite well. Um, have you had yeah. any pushback though from different areas um, on that or like from fandom or from, you know, anywhere else? Or Yeah, not, not really. Um, so Penguin, uh, my publisher in the US, they were very open with whatever you want to write, we want to read. Uh, Always a good start. Said, yeah. I mean, yeah, I haven't pushed it too far. I mean, if I came out and said, okay, I'm going to write a contemporary romance, mm-hmm. they might be like, hmm, that's not what your readers would expect from you and that's quite different. But because my books tend to all be under speculative fiction umbrella, I don't think that I've kind of pushed the boundaries uh, too much. I definitely get a lot of requests for sequels. So yep. mostly for Four Day Queens, have had quite a few for The Vanishing Deep. I'm sure I'll have some for League of Liars. Absolutely uh, got one from me. Um. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good to know. I'll write that one down and, and let my yep. publisher know. Um, so yeah, it's certainly uh, something that I kind of get advice on, but I haven't had any uh, too too many restrictions in where I want to go. And I mean, I would love to return to some of the worlds that I've written. That's certainly something that, as we were talking about earlier, you know, you do a lot of heavy lifting when you write fantasy worlds. So to be able to return to them and you know, play within the boundaries you've already established would be really great. So, yeah, look, we are sort of coming up towards the the end of the podcast here, but there is a question that, that you know, obviously Danny V, who runs the, the Words and Nerds universe, always likes to ask, and I like to steal the question because I love to hear the answers from it. So, you know, more people asking the question, more fantastic answers. <laughs> um, and that is, why do you write? Mm, that's, that's not an easy question, no, is it? <laughs> Um, I write because I love stories and I think the the thing is when I was a kid, I would always tell myself stories and it, maybe that's a a strange thing to do, but I would always be having narratives in my head that wasn't necessarily about me, but about other characters and, and worlds and things that would happen. And, and writing books is an outlet for that. And there's just something very satisfying about telling a story and, hopefully taking a reader on a journey. I mean, that's why I love books and I hope that I bring that enjoyment for somebody else when they read them. And yeah, that's why I tell stories because I love them. Yep. I, I don't know who I'd be without them. That's just a part of me. Uh, it's, a, it's a great answer. And I can certainly say that um, for all three books, um, and I say so far, not as in, you know, maybe the next won't, but so far right. as in looking forward <laughs> to the next ones, um, they certainly have brought a lot of enjoyment to myself. Um, and I hope Thank I haven't you. nerded out or fanned out too much. I think I've been talking about a million miles an hour because, you know, <laughs> in the back of my brain, there's, you know, a little um, 12-year-old fantasy reader going, oh, my God, I'm talking to Astrid Schult. Um, <laughs> and now that I've made Thank that you. really awkward. Um, <laughs> not at all. That's really lovely to hear. Thank you. Uh, look, it's you know, it's been an absolute pleasure to read them. It's been, you know, I, I don't know, an absolute pleasure to, to talk to you. Doesn't quite seem to cover it. 
But I do want to say thank you very much for uh, for coming on the podcast. Good luck with whatever does come next, whichever gut feel <laughs> says, yep, that's the one. Yep. And look, I'm not typically a romance reader, but if it is a Christmas uh, rom-com, I'll still go and, you know, watch or read that whichever <laughs> form it comes out. Um, oh, thank you. And I, I know that there's a... There's a couple of people in my reading group who absolutely love that and they love your books. So if you do, then there's at least two fans there that are going to um, to absolutely go nuts at that. That's awesome. But, thank, uh, you. No, th- thank you very much. Um, I hope that uh, good luck with the release and everything. Uh, I understand at the moment it's sort of, I believe it's at the printers. Again, by yes. the time this goes out, it's going to be out. It's probably already going to be selling millions. Uh, and now I'm counting <laughs> out again, I'll stop. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much. I'll, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Nathan. It's been great to chat to you and I've really enjoyed this evening and yeah, I appreciate all your questions and it's, it's been wonderful. Cheers. And thank you to every single one of the listeners who's joined in for this episode and for previous episodes of The Regular as well. I really appreciate you uh, having having listened to me fanning out over all of these fantastic authors. Uh, if you did want to listen to more episodes, you can find them at NathanJPhillipsWrites.com under the tab for podcast apps, or you can find more episodes of the Words and Nerds universe, including the other spin-offs, uh, at WordsAndNerds.com. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.